So good to be with you once again. It's not real often I get to have back-to-back Sundays. But um, I love it when it happens. I want to remind you of our special service tonight at 6 o'clock. We don't do this very often, but uh, I call it an apostolic service. Also, I want to give you a state of the ministry address, uh, talk about the building program and where we are with that and so forth. But then I have a message that I want to share with you. And uh, I believe I'd be safe in saying, even though we start at 6 p.m., we will probably be done no later than 8 p.m., okay? So that way you know that uh, you'll be able to come and still have time to get the kids ready for school tomorrow and get ready for your job tomorrow. We won't be here all night unless... There's a move of the Holy Ghost that keeps us here all night. Praise God. Anybody mind that at all? (laughs) I've been in services like that, and boy, are they rich. So 6 p.m. tonight, if at all possible, be here, okay? I want to read to you something that I received from the Lord on January the 20th, uh, just a few days ago. I was scheduled to preach in Kenneth Copeland's Minister's Conference on Thursday afternoon. So Wednesday night, I went to bed early, and early for me is early, (laughs) because I've been a night owl all my life. And uh, I went to bed probably around 9.30 that night, and uh, I only slept for about two hours. I was awake at about 11.30. And I got up, and I went over to the desk in my bedroom and uh, just sat there and began to pray in the Spirit for a while. I felt like the Lord had something he wanted to say to me. And he did. He had some things to say to me about my ministry and about the, the, the fresh anointing that's coming on my life and ministry. And then he said some things about 2022 that I want to share with you. He said, 2022 will be marked by more and more exposure of corruption, evil agendas, lies, and cover-ups. It will be known as the year of the great unveiling of truth. Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, verse 22, everything that is hidden will come to the light. that in your thinking. Everything that is hidden will come to the light. There's been a lot of things hidden from the public for a long, long time. We think a lot of this corruption we're hearing about now has just been happening over the last couple of years. It's been happening for a long, long time. It's been, I'm 75 years old. It's been happening for a lot longer than 75 years. We just didn't have the, the uh, media... <laughs> to expose it like they do today. So remember, it will be known as the year of the great unveiling of truth, not only regarding things that are taking place in our nation, but also a great unveiling of truth from God's Word that will cause you to rise above what is happening around you. The entrance of God's Word giveth light. Greater victories are on the horizon for those who will 
continue to put God's word first place in their lives and refuse to compromise. 2022 will also be known as a year of great deliverance. What the adversary tried to do to hold you down and to hold you back, God will reverse it and turn it around for your good. And don't ever forget, your God is the faithful God. He's always working behind the scenes. So rejoice and be glad. Amen. Amen. That you know him and you know his word. For your best days are not behind you. Your best days are just ahead of you. Come on, give the Lord a shout if you receive that. Amen. Praise God. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I've been talking about preaching this for quite some time now, and the day has finally arrived. (laughs) The Apostle Paul issues a stern admonishment to the Christians at Corinth, and I believe that certainly applies to us today. He said in verse 5, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. The Amplified Bible says, evaluate your own selves to see whether you are holding to your faith. The message translation says, give yourselves regular checkups. Look at your neighbor and say, I believe we're about to have a faith checkup. (laughs) Amen. You know, uh, 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 I just turned 75 back Christmas Eve of 2021. And uh, back when I was flying, I had to have a regular physical every year. It was required by the FAA. And uh, and so I was, you know, in order to fly, I had to do that physical. And then when I quit flying myself uh, and hired people to do that, uh, the Lord said, you can take your choice. I was sitting in a simulator out at Meacham Field doing some flight training. And the Lord said, take your choice. You can fly or preach. I said, Lord, that's not fair. Brother Copeland gets to do them both. He said, you're not Brother Copeland. I said, well, then Charles Capps gets to do them both. He said, you're not Charles Capps. I said, why can't I do them both? He said, I know you. It will consume you. And it will take away from your time in the Word. I'm the kind of person I get into something, I go all out. And God knew that about me. That's the reason I can't play golf. (laughs) I had someone take me to play golf one time. Never played before in my life. He said, come on, I'll take you. So we went out to the golf course, and, and uh, uh, I didn't even know how to hold the club. I didn't even know what club to use, you know. And, and uh, so he's telling me, and uh, it wasn't long before I figured out, you need to put some time into this to get good at it. Is that right, Justin? <laughs> and and I, 
I thought, no wonder people like this game. I could get into this. And I noticed the next day, while I'm studying the Word, I kept thinking, why am I hitting it off to the left? Why is it going this way? How come I hit that tree? And why did I miss the ball altogether? And I'm, I'm reading the Word. I'm supposed to be meditating on the Word. And I realized, uh, maybe this is not a game I should be playing because if I, if, I, if I do something, I want to excel at it. Okay? Uh, when I was in the ninth grade, I was invited to play on a bowling team in a bowling league. And uh, I, I, my best game in the ninth grade uh, was I bowled 260-something. That's, that's almost a perfect game. And, boy, I got into it. I started bowling all the time. Started going to the bowling alley all the time, you know. And uh, then, you know, I got distracted, started doing something else. But everything I get into, I want to excel at it. Anybody else like that? I don't, I don't, I don't want to just play. I want to play good. I want to play well. I, I started playing baseball in Little League. And uh, uh, they, they made a picture out of me. I'm left-handed. I have a natural curve. And so uh, the first time I pitched a no-hitter, I wasn't satisfied. I wanted a no-hitter every game. Of course, I didn't get one every game, but I did my best. You know, I want to excel at it. Uh, and that's the way I felt about flying. I don't want to just fly. It's like uh, Jesse DePlantis told Brother Copeland right after he got his first airplane. Jesse got his first airplane. He said, Brother Copeland, he said, you know, I've been sitting up in the cockpit and watching my pilots. And he said, you know, I think if there was an emergency, I could almost land that plane myself. <laughs> Brother Copeland looked at him and said, Jesse, do you know what almost landing an airplane is? <laughs> That's a crash. And Jesse's little lips started quivering, you know. <laughs> I don't want to almost land an airplane. I want to land it safely. A safe landing is one you walk away from. Yeah. Amen. And so uh, I, 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 I loved flying when I was doing it. And, and I understood what the Lord said. Now, this will take away from your ministry. And so uh, the flight instructor was standing there and I, I knocked on the window there and I said, let me out of here. He said, why? We just started. I said, no, I'm done. He said, why are you done? I said, well, I heard the Lord. He said, the Lord? I said, he's in here. <laughs> he looked around and then he said, uh, what did the Lord say? I said, he told me that I could take my choice, fly or preach. And I think I preach better than a fly, so I'm going to stick to preaching and I'll just hire people to fly me. And so that's what I've done over the year. In fact, I have never, that was 1980, I think it was about 84 or 5, and I have not been in the cockpit of an airplane that I've owned since then. I enjoy the ride. And, but I got good pilots, praise God. They know what they're doing. I, I, I tell them all the time, you guys fly as well as I preach. <laughs> They say, well, you preach as well as we fly. <laughs> Amen. So notice here what I'm referring to is if I get into something, I want to excel at it. 
That was my attitude about the life of faith. I don't want to play church. I don't, I don't want to uh, look like to other people I'm living a life of faith. I want to live a life of faith. I want God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. And so notice here, Paul says, examine yourself, evaluate yourselves, give yourselves regular checkups. Are you still operating in faith? Paul is telling them to be honest about their life of faith. Are they still practicing the basic principles that they were taught? I'm asking you the same question. Are you still practicing the same basic principles that you were taught? Or have you let go of them because of what's happening in our world today? A lot of people have let go of them. I know a lot of pastors, preachers, that, that have let go of those basic principles. Uh, I used to go to their churches, and, and you, I, I wouldn't hear them talking negative. Many of them I hear talking negative now. Many of them are, are, are talking the problem rather than the solution. Amen? Paul is asking them, do you still believe that the basic way that real Bible faith is released is through your words and your actions. Do you believe that today? That the basic way that real Bible faith is released is through your words and your actions. You know, uh, when Carolyn and I learned this way back there, I, I began in 1969, and, and our first faith teacher, my faith first faith teacher was Kenneth Copeland. I knew nothing about faith. And one of the first things I learned from him was the power of words. You're snared by the words of your mouth. You're taken captive by the words of your mouth. The Bible's full of scripture talking about learning how to talk correctly. You haven't read those? Amen. Your, your words have everything to do with your outcome. Whether you believe it or not, your words will make you, your words will break you. Amen? Words are carriers. They're vehicles. They carry faith. They carry fear. They carry sickness. They carry health. They carry prosperity. They carry poverty. Amen? Your, your, your words, the Bible says, you'll be justified by your words. So, these are basic principles that you should have learned when you first began to learn about the life of faith. How many of you were taught about the power of words? Amen. Now I realize there's a lot of new people that are coming in and they haven't heard these basic principles yet. But if you stick around here, you'll hear them. Amen. Because we, we, we stick to the basics. I told you one time, and I don't mind repeating it, uh, of course, Tony reminded me today, I don't, I don't watch professional football anymore. But he reminded me when I got here, before he even said, good morning, Brother Jerry. He said, the 49ers beat the Packers. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, good morning to you too, Tony. <laughs> now, there was a time when the Packers were my team, Okay. Because the first football game I ever saw as a, as a young boy 
when my dad finally got us a television set was the Green Bay Packers. So I immediately became a Green Bay Packer fan. And of course, so was back in the day with Vince Lombardi as the coach and, and Bart Starr, the quarterback, and Paul Horning, the running back. And uh, they were a dynasty. Okay, and I liked the Green Bay Packers. And one of the things that I have a book about Vince Lombardi. And one of the things that the players said about him was he never let them forget the basics. Even if they had just won the Super Bowl the year before, the first day of practice for the new year, he would stand up in front of them with a football in his hand and say, gentlemen, this is a football, as if they didn't know. And then he would go over and over and over, X's and O's, blocking and tackling, you know, basic principles. He would never allow them to forget the basics. Amen? I think sometimes I need to stand up and just say, ladies and gentlemen, this is a Bible. Amen? This is a Bible. Read it. Learn it. Do it. You'll be a champion if you do, praise God. Amen. So, Paul is asking them, do you still believe the basic way that real Bible faith is released is through words and actions? Or, just, or do you just talk any way you feel now? I'm asking you the same question. Do you just say whatever you feel? Do you not stop and think for a moment before words come out of your mouth? Do you ignore what you used to be uh, very serious about? I mean, once Carol and I learned the power of our words, I, I, I trained myself to no longer talk sickness and disease, poverty, lack and want, failure and defeat. I renewed my mind. I reprogrammed my spirit. I got all the negative out and replaced it with the Word of God. And the Bible says that God's Word is yea and amen. Yea meaning affirmative, amen being so be it. That's as positive as you can get. So if you replace what used to be in your heart with the Word of God, you're going to become a positive person. Thank you for your enthusiasm. He's asking them, do you, do you still believe that nothing is impossible with God? Or have you allowed the media to change your attitude? Do you struggle with the idea that this is just too hard for God? No, nothing is impossible with God. See, I'm giving you an examination. That's what Paul told us. Examination. You know, uh, uh, Oral Roberts was famous for doing this. Uh, sometimes when I would be with him, we were, we were traveling to Kenya together one time. And he had a book that he was reading when we got on the plane in JFK flying to Nairobi. And I noticed that it was a book uh, that was not, a, not, a, not Christian material, not, not anything real spiritual. It was a book... Uh, by a famous Western author. He wrote a lot of Western novels. And it was a book by him. And uh, 
he was just about finished with it. And when he finished it, he gave it to me and said, read this, and I'll give you an exam before we land. (laughs) In other words, I want to know that you actually read it. Don't just thumb through the pages. He called it an oral exam. (laughs) And so I read the book. And I said, I'm done, Brother Roberts. And he started asking me questions about the story that was involved. He was notorious. If you, if you were in a service that he preached and you said to him afterwards, Brother Roberts, that was a wonderful service, he would say immediately, tell me the three main scriptures I used, my three main points. That was his oral exam. And the first time he did that to me, I couldn't remember my name, much less the scriptures... <laughs> He caught me off guard. I fumbled around there. And I knew he'd do that. And uh, he, was, he and Evelyn were coming to our home. And I asked him, do you mind if I invite Jesse and Kathy to plant us? They, they've never met you. I'd love for them to meet you. He said, yes, I'd like to meet that little Cajun. And so we invited Jesse and Kathy. Well, I knew the oral exams. After the service that Brother Roberts preached, I deliberately set Jesse next to Brother Roberts. And Jesse kept saying, no, he, he's your guest. No, you sit by him. I said, no, I want you to sit by him, Jesse, because I knew what was going to happen. Jesse said, Brother Roberts, that was a wonderful sermon. He said, what were my three main scriptures and my three main points? Jesse went. And I'm over there laughing. He said, you set me up. I said, oh, yeah. That was his oral exam. Now, Paul says we need to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. In other words, ask yourself from time to time, am I still operating in the basic principles of faith? Am I just playing religious games? Do I still believe the word or do I believe what the world says? Do I still believe that nothing's impossible with God or is what we're going through now just because we've never been through it quite like this? It's just too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. Settle that if you don't settle anything else. Nothing is too hard for God. Amen? Another thing that you need to ask yourself is this. How's my attitude? I told you I was going to be preaching someday, and the day has arrived. Do you think you need an attitude change? Look at your neighbor and say, do you need an attitude change? Well, I can already tell just by the response, not even looking at anybody. Some of you wish you hadn't came. These are questions that each of us need to ask ourselves from time to time. Examine yourself. Now, another translation says it this way. Subject yourselves to the scrutiny of your own conscience. In other words, don't play religious games. Be honest with yourself. Now, the ultimate test or examination is to invite God to examine you. 
Have you ever done that? Like David said, David once said in Psalm 26 2, examine me, O Lord, and prove me, try the reins of my heart. Have you ever sat down one day and say, Lord, I give you the right to examine me. Am I still in the faith? Am I still operating in faith? And get ready. Because God won't lie to you. It's impossible for God to lie. Amen. What would God's answer be if you allowed him today to examine you, prove you, try the reins of your heart? Are you still holding to and still practicing the basic principles of the life of faith? And remember, our attitude plays a big role in living out our faith. Amen. Now, go with me to Romans chapter 12. And while you're turning there, I just want to read some things that I wrote in my notes here. Ever so often, we need to examine our attitude because having the right attitude is a key factor in experiencing success in every area of our lives. Having a right attitude. A wrong attitude can bring failure and defeat. As Christians, we should live every day of our lives expecting God to do something good. I learned that from Brother Roberts over 45, 50 years ago watching him on television before I ever met the man. His theme was something good is going to happen to you. He told me one time after I did meet him, he said, you'd be surprised at the ugly letters I receive from Christians when they hear me say that. Well, how do you know, Oral Roberts, something good is going to happen to me? You would think that most people would be encouraged by that. He said, a lot of them would say, you don't know what I'm going through. If you lived in my house, you wouldn't be saying that. Something good is going to happen to me. Say it right now. I didn't see many smiles. Say it this time with a smile on your face. Something good is going to happen to me. Now this time, say it with a little spunk with it, okay? Something good is going to happen to me. Amen? Hallelujah. I say that all the time. Something good is going to happen to me. And consequently, nearly every day, something good happens to me. Now you have to look for the good because most people look for the bad. Most people look for the negative. Amen. It's like the, the two little boys were told by their mom and dad that they were going to grandma's house for Christmas. Oh, they were excited. They loved being at grandma's house. You know, at grandma's house, they could do nothing wrong. You know, and uh, grandma cooks the best meals and grandma always has the best cookies and the, and the best desserts. They were looking forward to being at grandma's. And so they're driving to grandma's. And one little boy looked up and saw the gas gauge and said, Oh, Daddy, we'll never make it. The car's half empty. The other boy jumped up and looked and he said, Keep driving, Daddy. 
He saw the same gauge, it's half full. It's just a matter of perspective. Just a matter of how you look at things. How many of you remember the story of David and Goliath? We all remember the story of David and Goliath. His brothers and the entire armies of Israel, when they saw Goliath, they said, he's too big to kill. When David saw him, he said, he's too big to miss. (laughs) Amen. Just a different attitude, a different perspective. Amen. I, I, I told somebody the other day, he said, I'm 75 years old. They said, you said it with a smile. I said, yeah, I'm 75. One person said, that's getting old. I don't say it like that. I don't say I'm getting old. I say I'm getting older. There's a difference. I'm not old. I'm older. Amen. Not only that. I'm still able to do it 75. Well, a lot of people can't do it 65. Now, I'm not quite as fast on my feet as I used to be, but I'm still walking. Hallelujah. A lot of people at 75 can't walk. Sometimes my feet hurt. But I don't go around talking about it all the time. I don't get up every morning saying, Carolyn, dear God, my feet hurt. They hurt. She very very seldom hears me say anything about how I feel. Right? And I may walk in there, especially on my left foot. You'll, you'll appreciate this. When I was in the military back in the 60s, I was in a 4.2 mortar platoon. And we're unloading the base of a 4.2 mortar. It's heavy out of a deuce and a half truck. And a couple of the guys dropped it on my big toe. Broke my toe. For years, I couldn't even grow a toenail. It was painful all the time. I finally got a toenail. It's the ugliest toenail you've ever seen in your life. But I'm happy for a toenail. (laughs) You want to see? No. (laughs) It's ugly. (laughs) The the girls, Jerry and Terry, when they were were young, they they want to make some extra money to go do something. I say, okay, girls, I'll pay you to massage my feet. (laughs) And so they'd get out the lotion, I'd lay on the floor, and they'd massage my feet. When they got to that... That big toe. Oh, daddy. <laughs> I'd say do it too. If you want to get full payment. <laughs> but see, a lot of people would complain because they got a bad toenail. I'm glad I got one. I don't know if any of you ever noticed. But when I'm praising God over there during the praise and worship, I always do it with my right arm. And a lot of times I do both, but especially with my right arm. You know why? Because about six years ago when I had that full-blown stroke, I lost total use of my right arm. Partial use of my right leg. Total memory loss. 
They said, I'd never be normal again, never travel again, never preach again. But God, but God, amen. That's the reason why when we're praising God and I'm singing, all my life you have been faithful. If it wasn't for the faithfulness of God, I wouldn't be here today. They said I was going to have to spend the rest of my life going through a chamber to rebuild the brain cells. How long did I stay in that chamber? Not at all. I looked at it and said, that's not for me. I'm going home. And look what God did. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, the only way that you could tell that I might have had a stroke. Now, a lot of people that have strokes, they never fully recover from it. Some of them, their, their face is drawn. Or they, they, they still can't walk. They're on crutches. They're in wheelchair. My, my grandmother uh, had a stroke, and she never, never recovered. She spent the rest of her life in a wheelchair. In fact, on, on my mother's side of the family, most of them all died with strokes. My mother had strokes. Satan tried to kill me with a stroke. But God. Now, the only thing that you can, can and, and most people don't even notice it until I say it. You probably didn't even notice this. Now you will. You'll be looking all the time now. I can't lay that thumb down. It, look, at, look, it's more crooked than the, this one. It just... It just keeps popping up. Now, if I ever break down in my car, I can always hitchhike. Hallelujah. <laughs> See, that's the positive side. Oh, Brother Jerry, he can't lay his thumb down. Yeah, but I can hitchhike. <laughs> as long as we're going this direction, I'm safe. <laughs> Amen. See, I can be just as positive as you can negative. Positive people always see something good in life. Negative people always see the bad. Amen. Hallelujah. Say it again. Something good. Say it like this. I bet you can't do it like this. (laughs) Something good is going to happen to me. And then Brother Roberts really stirred him up when he added this. Today, <laughs> something good is going to happen to me today. Hallelujah. Amen. Something good usually happens to me every day. It's not because I'm a preacher. It's because I'm a believer with a positive attitude. Amen. Amen. Having the right attitude is not something that just happens when you accept Christ and you're born again. There's still a lot of people that obviously love the Lord. They're born again. They're going to heaven, but they have negative attitudes. Some of you guys, are you going to heaven? Yes, but I'll probably be on the last load. You made it. 
Amen. You, you can say to some Christian, good morning. What's the good of that? Hang around. It'll probably get worse. I don't want to be around people like that. So having a right attitude, a positive attitude, is not something that's automatic just because you're born again. It's something you have to work at. Work at. Work at. Practice makes perfect, they used to say. Amen. God wants you blessed and living a victorious life, but you have a part in making it happen. Well, if God wants me blessed, it'll just happen. No, it won't. No, you have a part in it. Now, before we read Romans chapter 12, let me define attitude. It's a manner of thinking, feeling, or acting that reveals or demonstrates one's opinion and perspective. Now, let me define a negative attitude. It's a disposition or manner that is not constructive, cooperative, or optimistic. It's, it's not optimistic. Once again, they're always seeing the bad in everything. They see the bad in people. They see the bad in circumstances. They see the bad in situations. Amen. Once again, uh, I, I, don't, I don't view getting older in the negative. I'm glad I reached 75. My dad died at 72. My dad couldn't do at 65 what I'm doing at 75. My dad started having heart attacks at 55. And he would have died before he reached 60, and I wouldn't let him. And just kept ministering to him, kept, kept encouraging him. And uh, he, he made it to 72. And I, I've been saying, uh, ever since I heard Kenneth Hagin say it, way back in 1969, 1970, with long life, he will satisfy me. Brother Hagin always said, if you hear that I'm gone, it's because I got satisfied. And the moment I heard, I was preaching in Texarkana the night I heard Brother Hagin had gone home to be with the Lord. Somebody walked up to the platform and told me while I was preaching, Brother Hagin just went home to be with the Lord. And I immediately said, told the audience, and I said, apparently he got satisfied. I'm not satisfied at 75. I still got a lot of living to do. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm already looking forward to 85. <laughs> Carolyn, Carolyn thinks I'm a little off. <laughs> but the day I turned 75, which was Christmas Eve, 2021, 11.30 that night, I almost made it to Christmas Day. Me and Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> and the moment I turned 75, I'm already talking about 76. Yes. 
And we, we haven't spent a day in 75 yet. I'm already talking about 76. I'm already talking about 80, 85. Why? Because the Bible says in Psalm 92, verses 13 and 14, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Listen to this. They shall still. Everybody say still. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. Hallelujah. I'm going to be more fruitful this year than I was last year. Why? Because I'm older. Hallelujah. That's something to put a smile on your face about. Amen. It also says, and they shall be fat. Do I look fat? Hallelujah. I weighed this morning. I weighed 144.6. And three years ago, I weighed 162. Let me say that again. Because Carolyn don't like hearing it. (laughs) Three years ago, preaching with Brother Copeland in, in Branson, Missouri, he walked up to me and said, how much you weigh now, Jerry? I said, 162. He said, I weigh 169. I said, Kenneth Copeland, you will never be smaller than me. You understand? <laughs> and I got serious. And I weighed one, what did I say, 144.6 this morning? I told Tony last Sunday, follow me around closely, son, Tony, but I don't want my pants falling off. <laughs> Might have to lift them up. I got my belt in the last notch. It feels good. <laughs> Some of you don't even want to hear the rest of this sermon. <laughs> See, I'm just, I'm just believing the word. The word fat there in the little Hebrew does not mean spread out, blow up. It means prosperous. They will bear fruit in old age. They will be prosperous and they will flourish. That's where I'm headed, praise God. Bearing more fruit, being more prosperous, and flourishing even more. Hallelujah. So why should I be negative about getting older? Hallelujah. I can still ride a motorcycle too. Two wheels. (laughs) If I can't ride two wheels, I'll get three wheels. Amen. I've already got three wheels. But I don't ride. I ride. Carolyn, that's about the only thing we, we'll ride together is uh, a trike. Because I'm, I'm, I'll, be, I'll admit, I'm not as strong as I used to be. Don't look at me so funny. I was always little, but I was always strong. Amen. One of, one of my classmates I went back to my 20-year reunion. He, he played, he was middle guard on the football team. I was too little. I couldn't play football. I played baseball, but I couldn't play football. <clears throat> he was afraid I'd get hurt. And he, you know, we would play intramural football, okay, and uh, in college. And he remembers one night when we were playing, and he ran straight at me. Now, he's a big boy. Now, you have to remember, well, you weren't there, but you won't remember. 
but let me just say to you, in my first year of college, I weighed 105 pounds. I graduated 95 pounds from high school. The summer was good to me. 105 pounds. I went in the military weighing 114 pounds. I came out weighing 124. Those three square meals a day was good for me. I was always little. He come running straight at me. Now, he, he weighed a good 195 pounds. I just ducked down and got under him and picked him straight up and carried him 10 yards back and laid him on his back. <laughs> 20 years later, at reunion, when he saw me, he said, there's Jerry Savell, the strongest little man I ever knew. <laughs> <laughs> so I was always strong, even though I was little. But I'm not as strong today as I was then. Okay? So I don't want to take a chance on trying to hold me and Carolyn up on a big motorcycle like we used to ride. I used to ride these big touring bikes. And uh, they're heavy. Very heavy. So I don't do that anymore. Gray hair means you're wise. Notice a lot of you hadn't got any gray hair. <laughs> Brother Coburn said to me, look at me and look at you. I'm 10 years older than you, and I don't have any gray hair. I said, the Bible says it's a sign of wisdom. I notice you don't have any. <laughs> and I ran off and hid somewhere. <laughs> he, can, he and I can pick at each other like that, Okay. I hope, don't let him get this message. (laughs) Now, listen to this. The Amplified says, Psalm 92, In old age, they shall be full of sap. That's what's my problem. I'm full of sap. (laughs) Where it says in the King James, they shall be fat. In the Amplified, it says, full of sap. And the Amplified defines sap as spiritual vitality. I look good on the inside. (laughs) Amen. On the outside, there's this little tiny frame. But on the inside, there's a giant. I'm full of sap. Spiritual vitality. Amen. So... You can look at the negative side or you can look at the positive side. I'm a positive person. I got that way starting back in 1969 and I haven't changed. I don't, I don't, I don't have down days. I don't get down. I get down, but not down. Having that, Danny. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to get down, but anyway, I don't, I don't have days that I wake up negative. I don't wake up with an attitude that's negative. I get up saying, "Good morning, Lord." I don't get up saying, "Good Lord, it's morning."
Your attitude has everything to do with your outcome. And you say, amen. Now listen at verse 15 from the Amplified. Talking about these people that are getting older. That are prosperous and flourishing. It says they are living memorials to show that the Lord is faithful to his promises. I'm a living memorial that demonstrates that God is faithful to his promises. Hallelujah. I think I'll shout over that. Praise God. And I I would appreciate all the older people shouting with me. Amen. That's a whole lot better way of thinking, isn't it? I, I like this verse as well, and I confess it all the time. Job 42, 12 from the message translation. It said, God blessed Job, and I put Jerry's name there. God blessed Jerry's latter life even more than his earlier life. See, getting old doesn't mean that you can't enjoy more of the blessings of God. In, in God's view... Getting older positions you to experience more, not less, more. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. So I like to say my best days are not behind me. My best days are just ahead of me. All right. Did you find Romans 12 yet? Let's look at verse 1. You're all familiar with it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, the Amplified says it this way, Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to his external superficial customs. But listen to this. But be ye transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind by its new ideals and its new attitude. Is that up there? Its new attitude. Notice, when you start renewing your mind then it should have an effect on your attitude. You, you, can't, you can't spend quality time in the Word of God and stay a negative person. If you remain a negative person and you're telling me you're spending quality time in the Word, something's wrong. It just doesn't work that way. Renewing the mind to the Word is going to change your attitude. It's going to change your perspective. It's going to change your outlook on life. Amen. You know, when impossible situations come before you, you don't, you don't respond with, oh Lord, what are we going to do now? You respond with, oh Lord, here's something. I know you can change. I know you can do something about. Amen. I remember years ago, first time Carol and I went to Hawaii, 1972. And they were having, we were there just believe God to, to be able to go and 
have some vacation time. And, and I was still working for Brother Copeland. And I asked him if, if Carolyn and I could go to Hawaii. They were having the full gospel businessmen's international convention there. And Brother Copeland was one of the speakers. And, uh, of course, he, he didn't plan on me going because it wasn't his meeting. He was just one of the speakers in that meeting. So I asked him if, if Carolyn and I could go, if I could take my vacation time and go. And so we, were, we had to believe God for the money because it's a personal trip, you know. Had to believe God for the money. And we found that there was a, a tour package. And the, the whole tour, flights, hotel, and everything was $1,400 a piece. So, you know, we needed at least $2,800 and then a little bit, you know, to eat on and, and maybe buy a souvenir or two or something, you know. So we were believing God. And boy, believing for three or $4,000 back in 1972 was like believing for a half a million today, you know. And boy, it came right up to the time that we were to go, and we were still short. And, and, but we packed our bags. Faith without corresponding actions is void of power. And right at the last minute, God used someone to bless us so that we could go. Now, we got over there, and of course, we were part of this tour package. So that means we had to go on all the tour stuff, ride a bus everywhere and all that, you know. And, and do all that. But we'd never been before, so it was interesting. It was exciting. You know, they took us different places. And they dropped us off at a place called Hilo Hatties. Anybody ever heard of Hilo Hatties? And uh, it, was a, it was like one of the primary companies that made the Aloha shirts and Aloha dresses and all that. And it, it was not very expensive at all. It wasn't the most fashionable, but it was affordable. And so they dropped us off one day at Hilo Hatties. And Carolyn and I, you know, bought, like tourists do for the first time, we bought matching shirt and, and dress, you know. And it, it was just cheap, real cheap, but all we could afford. And then we, we bought the girls. Our girls were back home. My mother was keeping them. And we bought the girls uh, little aloha, uh, aloha dresses or whatever. And, and the little uh, coconut, a little skirt, little grass skirt and all of that, you know. And, and, and there was a place called Perry's Smorgasbord.
they said, we're going to believe God to go back again sometime. And so eventually we started spending our vacation there every year, and we've done so for over 40 years. Amen. We haven't had to go back in the last couple of years because of restrictions.
In aviation, there is a phrase called the attitude of an airplane. Have we got sound yet? Yeah. Uh, this is the model of our Falcon 50. The attitude of an airplane doesn't mean when you go out to the airport and you get ready to fly to Los Angeles, your airplane says, we flew you to Washington last week, we're not going to L.A. Detroit, take the bus. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the attitude of an airplane. The attitude of an airplane is the position of the nose and the wings at the horizon. Okay? They call that the attitude of an airplane. Obviously, if you raise the nose and the wings, attitude determines altitude. I should have been a lawyer. Rest my case. Attitude determines altitude. Now, in this particular airplane, we fly nearly everywhere we go, unless it's a really short trip. We fly nearly everywhere we go, 42,000 feet. Okay? To get to 42,000 feet on a, on a typical day in a Falcon 50 takes you between 25 and 30 minutes from takeoff, from wheels up. Now, some days, the weather's not favorable. Doesn't mean it's dangerous. We don't fly in dangerous weather. But it's just not favorable. It's not, not the way you'd like for it to be. <clears throat> Some days we go out to Meacham Field where I keep the plane. And it's overcast, it's cloudy, there's fog, or, you know, there's there, there's there's rain, uh, it's nasty, uh it's called a soupy weather. <laughs> okay. And sometimes we get in the plane and those are the conditions. But they've already, they've already got a flight plan. All of it have been approved. And we trust the pilots. They're great pilots, some of the finest in the world. Amen. They work full time for us. And we, we, I always get a briefing. The first thing they do before we take off, Brad, my chief pilot, comes back and gives me a briefing on what our flight plan is, what the conditions are at our destination, what the altitude is that we will be flying. Okay? See, just keep a pop. determines the altitude of the airplane. So once again, to get to 42,000 feet in this airplane, we got to have the nose up, we got to have the wings up, we got to climb. And we will climb between 25 and 35 minutes to get to 42,000 feet. However, 
While we're climbing, you look out the window, you can't see anything. You're going through the clouds. It's soupy out there. There's water on the wings all the time. Of course, when it's cold, there's a possibility of ice. But we have all the equipment, de-icing equipment that keeps the ice off the plants. Ice on the wings changes the configuration of the wings, and it's not safe. Okay? So we have all the, the equipment that keeps us safe. And we're climbing. And we're climbing. And there's me looking out the window. <laughs> <laughs> On the other side, that's Joe. That's uh, right there's Eric. Okay? And we're climbing. And we're climbing. And we look out the window, and it, you can't see a thing. But then all of a sudden, the, the clouds get a little thinner. And the density is a little thinner. And all of a sudden, we break out over the clouds. And a beautiful sunshine. That's right. Jesus. Beautiful sunshine. Yes, yeah. man. Amen. I took Mac Hammer one time, flying up to Indianapolis, uh, uh, Minnesota. He always had me come in either February or November. <laughs> the worst time of the year for Minnesota. <laughs> I mean, a snow power this high. I said, Mac, why do you always have me come in February or November? So you're the only one that'll get to go. <laughs> so that's changing, Mac. I've never seen Minneapolis that there wasn't snow on the ground. And had to fly through a blizzard. And, and I told the people one time, I said, people, y'all need to build this city about 25,000 feet higher, but it's beautiful up there. <laughs> get out of all this mess. So now, I only go in August. <laughs> so the point is, the attitude of an airplane determines the altitude. Yes. And it's the same in life. Yes. Your attitude determines your altitude. Yes. It's just how far you will go in life. Yes. What do you want to go? What do you want to experience in life? Well, your attitude has everything to do with whether you'll ever get there. That's right. Somebody said, that's good preaching. I don't know why you're not shot. Good. good preaching. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right, now, have I still got sound? Well, you need to hear all of this. So we'll preach it anyway. And uh, we'll do it quickly. Remember the 10 spies, 12 spies in the book of Numbers? They were told to go out and spy out the land. And uh, God had told them that it was uh, had, had, uh, a land of milk and honey, pomegranates, and so forth. And so when they started out spying the land, they, they said it's exactly the way God said it was. However, there are giants in the land. And they said in Numbers chapter 13, 10 of the spies said, we are not able to take this land because we are but grasshoppers in the sight of those giants. Now, I can't find anywhere in there where not one of them walked up to one of those giants and said, 
uh, what do we look like to you? <laughs> he said, the Dazzlers. <laughs> he doesn't say they ask the Giants what they look like. That's what they imagine. They said, we are grasshoppers in our side, and we're also grasshoppers in their side. And that wasn't true. The part about grasshoppers in their side, they're themselves. That was, that was true, okay? But it wasn't true with what the Giants were thinking. But then it says that two of them out of 12 of them had a different spirit. Joshua and Caleb. I like to say a different attitude. Amen? They came back saying, nah, we are well able to take the land. Caleb said, give me that mountain. I can take it. And he was an older man. (laughs) Amen. Perspective, attitude. Amen. The Apostle Paul, a man with with a positive attitude. He went through more than you and I will ever go through in his lifetime. His attitude was, none of these things move me. None of these things move me. I will finish my course, and I will finish it with joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think one of the things that, that caused Paul to have such a positive attitude was his intimate relationship with God. Yes. His intimate relationship with God. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, he starts off with, and my God, making it very personal. And my God. I didn't notice how positive it was because he had a deep, intimate relationship with his God. My God shows up. A deep, intimate relationship with God is going to cause you to become more positive. My God shall supply. Not maybe, not perhaps. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Can you say amen? A positive attitude is also the result of having a deep conviction of just how much God loves you. When you know that God loves you, you can be positive. If there's anything, one thing I know, God loved Jerry Savelle. He took a liking to me a long time ago. <laughs> you ever been around people that, that you know love you? The people that esteem you highly? That's the way you ought to feel when you get around God. God really loves me. God thinks the world of me. Why? Because he gave his only begotten son. The Apostle Paul actually prayed this for Christians in Ephesus. In Ephesians 3, uh, beginning in verse 14, I'll just read a portion of it. To know the love of God, to know the love of Christ. That was his prayer, that you will know the love of Christ. The Amplified says that you may really come to know practically through experience, 
for yourselves the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge. The Passion Translation says that you would know the love of Christ, the magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. Amen. And then verse 20 of the Passion Translation says, when you know the love of Christ this way, then he will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dreams, and exceed your wildest imaginations. Amen. And notice this knowing the love of Christ is what helps create a positive attitude. I know God loves me. I am confident. I know it. I don't just believe it. I know it. I know it. And because I know it, I know he's going to do exceeding abundant above all I can ask or think. Beyond my wildest imaginations. He's been doing it for 53 years and he's going to keep right on doing it. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, Proverbs chapter 4. This is a vital key. Verse 20 and 21. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. Now the Passion Translation adds this. Fill your thoughts with my words until they penetrate deep into your spirit. Fill your thoughts with my words until they penetrate your spirit. Now, the good news, the good news Bible says it this way. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. I'd like to add, your life is shaped by your attitude. Someone once said it like this. Could you take that for me? Someone once said it like this. Our life is what our thoughts make of it. Another person said it like this. A man is what he thinks about all day long. And finally, someone said it like this. The greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can change his life by changing his attitude. That's a great discovery. That's even a greater discovery than the washing machine (laughs) and the telephone and the iPad. Changing your attitude can change your life. Can you say amen? All right, praise God. I believe that's enough. Let me ask you the question again. Do you think it might be time for an attitude change? It has everything to do with whether you make it through this pandemic or any other crisis that we might face in the days ahead. Hallelujah. I believe I'm going to come out on top. How many of you believe you're going to come out on top? Hallelujah. Lift both hands and say this with me. In the name of Jesus, I accept the challenge today. From time to time, I need to examine myself. I need to have a faith checkup. 
And I submit to my, I submit to one today. I'll be honest with myself. Not going to play church, nor religious games. I'm going to do a faith checkup. I'm going to check on my attitude. I'm going to check on what's coming out of my mouth. I'm going to check on how am I acting in all of this. And if I find that I'm not acting right, talking right, or have a wrong attitude, I'm going to do something about changing it. Because I want God's best. And give the Lord a shout if you believe that. Amen. Hallelujah. Do you receive today? Glory to God. Amen.